0: Hello and welcome to the Career Builders Podcast. I'm Mike Bird.
1: I'm Lisa Pekosek.
0: And today we're going to continue our discussion from last week around creating an environment for success. So this is part two of our episode from last week, which talked a lot about uh, relationships, mentorship, building on the social elements in the workplace, and really establishing systems that allow you to have success when you're at work. And we're going to continue that discussion today. Right on that note, um, in terms of systems that that I use right now and have for a couple of years since reading uh, Stephen Covey's Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. I know that's a book that we've talked about. I've referenced to it a few times on the show, and it's an absolute must-read. By the way, it's an it's just a legendary piece of literature for anyone who wants to not just excel at work but also have like a really productive and meaningful life. So I'm a big fan of that. And what we're going to start off with comes right out of of the book, um, which I believe is this is habit number two, put first things first. Excuse me, habit number three, put first things first. Covey talks about four different ways that you can classify an activity or a task that you're doing. So if you think about taking a coordinate plane that has four quadrants, there's basically these four kinds of activities and everything that you do fits somewhere within this coordinate plane. Quadrant one for Covey is is important and urgent tasks. Okay. And I'll I'll cover that off in just a moment in terms of what the difference between those two words actually is. Quadrant two, important, non-urgent, where he tries to really encourage a lot of us to move toward in our lives. Quadrant three, which is unimportant, but urgent activities. And for a lot of people that might seem a little bit counterintuitive. And then quadrant four, non-urgent, unimportant work. And I'm sure we can think about the hours we burn on social media or playing games or whatever, whatever we do that doesn't really have any kind of move the needle type effect on our life. So really, really quickly. And yes, this sounds like a big monologue right now. Important tasks add value to your life, to your work, to others versus urgent tasks, which are pressing, but they may not actually be that important. They may not actually have that much value attached to them.
1: So is that time-based? Yeah,
0: exactly. Like, so If you have to call 911 for something, there's obviously urgency around that. And it's probably an important task that you're experiencing, right? Mm -hmm. So like a heart attack or your house on fire or some piece of work that you forgot was due five minutes from now, like that's going to be a quadrant one activity, important and urgent. The time is a factor for sure. When we look at, when we look at urgency, a lot of people mistake urgent for being important. And so they live sort of. From one fire to the next in quadrant one, always basically at the mercy of their lives. Mm. So, a life full of quadrant one activities feels out of control mm-hmm. completely out of control. You're literally like a 911 dispatcher. Sounds stressful. Yeah. Yeah. So, the encouragement toward quadrant two important, non urgent. So, these are things like working out, right? For the long term um viability of your health or <clears throat> investing time with your partner or if you want a partner, looking for a partner, doing something that ultimately it doesn't have an immediate time frame attached to it, but it's what keeps things moving away from quadrant one and staying within your quadrant two realm of control.
1: I would also add uh job searching in there.
0: Oh yeah. A great quadrant two activity for sure. Uh, and we're going to talk about that a little bit later in a future episode. Quadrant three is another big time sink for a lot of us. Uh, so unimportant but urgent work. And the best example that I like to use for this is around email where we get a message in our inbox and we feel compelled to respond within five minutes, three minutes, whatever. How many of those emails actually require an immediate response because of the importance level. It might be urgent. It might be right in front of you. You might feel like there is a need to get it turned around right away. But a lot of emails that we encounter are not actually that important. We don't have to jump on them right away. So we end up getting sucked into a quadrant three sort of vortex there. Mm -hmm. And then quadrant four, unimportant, non-urgent. That is basically a recipe for doing a whole bunch of like really you know, wasteful tasks when it comes to our time. And there can be, there can be upsides. to Some of these moments, there's a place for, for quadrant four activity, right? There are times where we just want to press pause in our life and just kind of decompress and chill. And then when we actually look at that again, it can become a quadrant two type activity when we actually do it consciously. Like if I just sat down on my couch right now and started watching browsing, not even watching, but like browsing through Netflix. Cause that takes time. Mm -hmm. Uh, That's quadrant four. But if I'm doing it in such a way where like oftentimes if I sit down to watch TV, it's with, it's with my partner. Mm -hmm. And so that becomes more of a quadrant two activity where I'm investing back into my relationship and I'm doing something that adds value to my life and to somebody else's. Mm -hmm. So bringing the importance back into the fold.
1: Yeah. The other thing that comes up for me is thinking about that quadrant four is uh, scrolling through social media. Mm Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. I go to look for something and I'm on a a path to do something. And then all Mm -hmm. of a sudden it's an hour later and I've just been scrolling through Instagram for the last hour. That's definitely a time suck.
0: Totally. So when we get into like quadrant three, quadrant four activities, we often lose, again, we lose control of our lives doing things that are not really that important to us or Mm -hmm. to other people. I mean, Quadrant two is really kind of where it's at. If you can do more and more quadrant two type activities, you'll lead a more effective life. That was Stephen Covey's argument in that in that chapter. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, how do we apply this to our work now? I mean, if you were to make a to do list, um, or maybe you have a to do list already, go ahead and prioritize based on these four different types of activities where do the things that are on your to-do list stack up? Mm-hmm. Where do they fit? Color code it, you know, write a number next to it. One, two, three, four. I've done this actually as sort of as an exercise with someone before where I presented an example, a sample to-do list and I had color coded the tasks and I asked the other person I was with to to add some tasks to the list. And so I went away, we went away and He filled out, added some activities, and he prioritized everything he put on the to-do list as quadrant one. And I was like, we're having eight heart attacks at a time, like simultaneously right now? Is that what's happening? Wow. Is that really how you view everything? I mean, I didn't actually, I wasn't that overt with my thoughts, but that ultimately is a great example of how some people live their lives.
1: Mm Mm-hmm. Seems like an opportunity too, to be able to look at why these things are in quadrant one. Why did they become urgent and important Mm -hmm. instead of starting with them in quadrant two? So saying, how can I make this not a heart attack in the future?
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah. How can I like build systems, right? Going back to this main topic, how can I build systems that allow me to keep things out of the urgency state By treating them when they're just important, non-urgent. And that for some of us takes a lot of work, but it's a much better, (laughs) less stressful way of living life if we can do that.
1: Yeah. And just thinking about that too, I'm a very visual person. So Mm -hmm. I would love actually mapping it on a quadrant, like sitting down with a piece of paper, drawing a a vertical line, a horizontal line, and putting my tasks into the various spots. Mm -hmm. So -hmm. I love this idea. I may actually do this later.
0: Yeah, you can have obviously a degree of um, magnitude, right? Like some things within quadrant one will be further up and to the right. uh, But still within quadrant one versus other quadrant one activities, you can actually kind of map out a scatter plot of all the activities in your life and not just put them into the four categories. So you can really get quite specific in terms of looking at how to prioritize things. So that's a system that I do use. Um, It's, It has definitely changed the way I look at a lot of things and has kept me more in control of my day-to-day routines at work. No questions asked. Love it. Yeah. We've also got a discussion today around a lot of other things related to like the physical environment uh, in which we work. Mm -hmm. Can you, can you talk about that? I know you've mentioned in the past that you, Lisa, are kind of, you're not a huge fan of the open working, uh, open work concept.
1: Yeah. So as an introvert, the open work concept for me is overwhelming. Mm. And most of the jobs that I've had have been the open work concept. So that's something that had I been aware of sooner or decided to make change. I mean, sometimes when you're in a job, you don't really have a lot of choice. Mm -hmm. Um, A lot of accounting and finance jobs do have that open concept workplace. So just understanding how you can kind of adapt to it. Yeah. Um, I always brought headphones to work with me and would listen to some music that I enjoyed or listen to other various things that I could kind of just put on in the background, yeah. which helped me to really focus because for me, open concept means that I'm constantly getting distracted Yeah. and introverts are very sensitive to energy. So if there's all this energy going on around you, it can be really difficult to get into that zone of genius or to be really focused mm-hmm. on what you're doing. Mm -hmm. So adapting to your work as well and also choosing work that's going to adapt with you. So if you're an extrovert, if you're on the opposite end of the spectrum and you're working from home, you need to find ways to recharge yourself, to fill yourself up because it's going to really drain you and you're going to notice that your mood is really affected when you're by yourself all the time.
0: Yep. Yeah. The... And it can be small, subtle changes that can create big results when it comes to these these kinds of environments. I can remember a time when I moved from an office of about uh, seven people, eight people, and it was very it was a very tight space, and it was very loud, active space a lot of the time, and not a super focused environment. And I really struggled to get work done and be productive. And ultimately, I moved to another office with only five people in it, far more space in between, uh, individuals and just an overall, just a different vibe, different personalities. And it allowed me to basically be a much more productive person, even though my role had not changed just that big, big shift, literally down a set of stairs into a different room, changed everything for me and made me a much more productive person in my role. Mm Mm-hmm. So a a little can go a long way is what we're trying to say.
1: For sure. There's other little things that you can do too. So if your workplace is, let's say the morale is down or Mm -hmm. something's happening where it's sort of a negative environment, you can affect your immediate environment. So you can't control everybody around you, but what you can do is bring little things to your desk. So think of something that makes you happy that when you look Mm -hmm. at it, it just brightens your day. You can put that as a symbol on your desk to just remind yourself, oh, yeah, this is, you know, this is my environment and I'm Mm -hmm. controlling this. Um, Another thing that you can do, too, is when you're thinking about the people around you, you don't have to take on their energy, which is tough. We often adapt to the people around us. But I think we talked about this in an earlier episode as well, about if you're a happy person, that can also be imparted on the people around you. It can be contagious when you're happy. So find ways of bringing some positivity into your own environment and it can actually rub off on the people around you.
0: Yeah, absolutely. You'll start to notice that the world around around you starts to actually reflect your mood more and more when you do that. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and the same thing happens around a negative outlook as well. If you are constantly bringing negative energy into an environment, it, it will start to, people will start to treat you a little more negative, more negatively. So uh, don't be surprised. There is a correlation there for a reason.
1: And a lot of the time it's just about shifting your perspective and you can work with a coach or a friend to say, how am I looking at things right now? Can I shift this to be a little bit more positive?
0: Yeah. Yeah. Having someone to sort of reflect back to you, how you're showing up can be Mm -hmm. super beneficial. Yeah. Cool. So talking about sort of uh, awareness, self-awareness, being observant, I mean, being able to look at yourself and say something in my environment is not working for me right now, Mm
1: -hmm.
0: what could I change? Mm -hmm. What might make a really positive difference for me? What could I try out maybe for a week, maybe for a month? Uh, There's lots of things that you can do without you know, sounding the alarm bells and looking for a new job that can really drastically change how you operate and how you feel about your work.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So I certainly encourage people to, to look carefully at just what their, what their surroundings are like
1: mm-hmm.
0: and get a sense of, is it, is my environment helping me and what I'm, is it serving me well or is it not?
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So big emphasis on self-awareness, which I know is a regular topic of ours on this show.
1: For sure. And self-awareness is so important because as you continue throughout your career, the more self-aware you are of not just your environment, but also your strengths or weaknesses mm-hmm. and all everything that comes with that, the more likely you are to make decisions that are going to serve not only your own purposes, but also the purposes of the company around you, because hopefully you choose a company that you are very aligned with and mm-hmm. It just becomes a cohesive path forward. So understanding, like I said, your values, your motivations, everything that comes with that, but then also being able to self-evaluate, not waiting for your manager to come back to give you feedback. Because a lot of times we're so conditioned to wait for feedback from Mm -hmm. people around us. But we can actually take a look and whether it's on a daily basis, a weekly basis, a monthly basis, just to say, what are my expectations of myself? And yeah. am I meeting those expectations?
0: Yeah. Key, key questions for sure, which don't require somebody else coming in and, uh, you know, us sitting down for a formal review or, or whatnot. So it, it's a, it's a habit that we can get into. Is what I'm mm-hmm. hearing.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. And it's, it's also you know, we've talked in the past as well about finding somebody that you see as a role model and trying to emulate some of the work that they're doing. Mm -hmm. So you can use that also for feedback to say, if these are the things that are important to me, where am I on my to-do list or will-do list?
0: Yeah. Yeah, for sure. That's a great sort of more objective measure just to go out and create a dashboard for yourself to see see where could I be doing a little bit better or where am I hitting home runs on a regular basis.
1: Yeah. And going back to the emotional side of that too, mm-hmm. how do I feel about this? Do I feel good about the work that I'm doing?
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
1: And if the answer is yes, then great. And if the answer is, well, I'm not really sure, then there's probably some tweaks that you can make.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Being open to making changes when you diagnose a need and not just sort of tolerating something that feels like it's weighing on you to an extent. Uh, another really, really key, key point in this Mm self-evaluation path we've talked about.
1: Yeah. And that kind of leads into the continuous learning piece too. So as you're evaluating yourself, you say, where can I improve? Where do I, what do I still need to learn?
0: Yeah. Yeah. Like systemically, like what, what do you do on a regular basis to continue to upgrade your skills?
1: Yeah. And that can be in any industry in terms of the skills that you need or the jobs that you want to have. If you're in a very technical industry, that's something that's often required. So, mm-hmm. or if you're, yeah. uh, a, have a designation, they, they ask you to do a certain number of hours per year yeah. to keep up that certification or designation. But outside of that, what skills do you want to have? Um, I, yesterday just took stock as part of a overview of my, my own self evaluation. And I have a list of, close to 20 things that I want to wow. learn in the next year. Wow. So, I mean, it doesn't have to be that long of a list, mm-hmm. but just identifying a few things that you really want to work on and figuring out, you know, is it a course that I need to take? Is it a book that I need to read? Is there somebody mm-hmm. that I can talk to to teach me about this? Uh, and there's resources within a lot of companies too, more than a lot of people realize. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, when I was working for one of the major banks, they had this really great learning online learning resource that had Mm. thousands of articles, videos, all sorts of stuff, but people didn't know about it. So they weren't using it. But if you can ask and say, you know, what's available to us as employees, Mm
0: -hmm.
1: that there's a lot of free stuff that you can get access to.
0: Yeah. Uh, Take advantage of like your employer's overall drive to kind of keep the workforce of the company moving in a positive direction with its development, professional development. There are all kinds of things that you can just sort of, if you look carefully enough, you'll, you'll find some really neat learning opportunities and like adulting kind of gets a bad rap. I find on a lot of levels, but one of the best parts of being an adult in the workforce is being able to learn the things that you'd like to learn. Sometimes you will learn skills that you need to learn quote unquote need. But like being able to choose the actual topics that you're interested in and diving into them and spending time, investing your time in terms of just really like getting into something that you feel hopefully passionate about. Mm-hmm. You might not in the early stages, but over time you might find yourself really diving into something that really sort of feeds your fire. And that's just one of the greatest parts, honestly, of growing up. Yeah. Yeah, because sure. when you're sitting at a desk in high school, it's, you're sort of being told what to do in terms of learning. Yeah. And there's more freedom than that when you're in your 20s, 30s, 40s.
1: For sure. And it's funny too, that you mentioned that because thinking about going to the library when I was younger, I, I used to love the library when I was a kid. I'm a big reader. I love but libraries. Then, <laughs> as, yeah. as I got into high school, it was like, oh, it's not cool to go to the library. <laughs> um, but again, as you decide what it is that you want to learn the library is a huge free resource for you. Yeah. People are utilizing less and less because of Amazon and I sure. don't don't get me wrong, I love being able to go on Amazon and find something that I want and have it delivered to me the next day. But it's also especially if you don't think that you're going to need it longer term just being able to go and borrow that book and then take it back and find something else is so fantastic.
0: Yeah, like and if you can if you can afford the time in terms of just Like if you can take a couple of hours on a weekend to go into a library and sit down and read a variety of books and kind of touch a a bunch of different areas, that setting can be so stimulating when you're around other people who are also kind of of that similar mindset of like, let's, let's learn something new or let's go and just focus ourselves mentally kind of, it can be a very stimulating place in that regard. So when we talk about environment, the library environment for me, always a place I love to go to.
1: Yeah, for sure. It's interesting too, because I, uh, about a year ago, I discovered that the library has, uh, online books as well. So mm-hmm. you can download them on your Kindle or whatever it is that yeah. you use. And that was the greatest thing ever for me because mm-hmm. I can go and download five books at a time and I get them for three weeks and then they disappear and it's, you know, easy peasy.
0: Yeah. No late fees. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> cool. What else have we got on this topic in terms of environment for success?
1: So we talked a little bit last time about asking for help, but this is another topic as asking for what you need Mm -hmm. or want. Mm -hmm. So sometimes, sometimes we need to ask somebody to assist us with something, but sometimes we just need more resources and it can be intimidating to do that at times. So whether it's whether you're a manager and you need more people to do the work, Mm -hmm. whether you're an employee and you need more time to do something, whether you just want to ask for a raise. All that stuff can be really difficult and intimidating, but if you can get over that intimidation factor, you're going to be a lot more successful because yeah. a lot of times people don't look at it as you being entitled or you asking for something that's outrageous. A lot of the time you have information to back up what you're asking for. And it's another great way of pitching it as well. When you go sure. and ask for something you need to understand why it's important. You need to understand what the broader goal is, and then be able to communicate that to the person that you're asking for.
0: Yeah, if you don't, if you don't ask, you'll never receive. People aren't mind readers. They might get a sense that you're trying to to get after something, but yeah, being being bold and going out and saying like. I see value in us potentially going and doing this X and Y and ultimately it can be a very productive conversation that you don't necessarily have to fear at all.
1: Yeah. And the worst thing that can happen is they'll say no, and then you'll be back to the same place that you were at, but it also might spur a conversation down the road and they might say not right now, but we can revisit this in six months.
0: Yeah. There's huge uh, upside in terms of planting the seed of an idea. Mm -hmm. Sometimes it, it doesn't happen overnight or right in the moment where an idea is presented and it takes off but if you kind of put it on the runway and give it a little push from time to time enough people can get behind that over a period of time and all of a sudden there's momentum behind that idea uh, or that initiative and it can take off down down the stretch but it's got to be put on the runway first so really planting the seed and letting it just sort of grow up
1: For sure. And also creating an environment for people to feel comfortable to do that. Mm -hmm. I'm working with an organization right now and they've created what they're calling a learning channel where Mm. you can just present ideas like that because a lot of times you're not the only person thinking about it. There's probably other people who have the same needs or concerns. And so once you table it, other people can say, oh, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And it evolves in a more fluid way and in a way that people can actually act on
0: makes total sense. Cool. I feel like that kind of flows fairly well into, um, you've got a point about autonomy in the workplace and being able to, I'll, I'll turn it to you. I like when you think of autonomy in the work environment, what does that mean?
1: Autonomy really means having the space to do what needs to be done without somebody having to tell you what Mm -hmm. to do. Yeah, And a lot of that is around trust there's been a lot of literature on how it's important to, if you're hiring somebody, you're hiring them because you should inherently trust them. And if you mm-hmm. don't trust them, then don't hire them. Mm-hmm. So giving autonomy to the people that you're hiring to do the job that they need to do can be very uh, empowering and also yeah. show that you have that level of trust in them.
0: It makes total sense. I, You've sort of like sparked a memory for me in terms of, when I, as a football coach, when I've coached some really elite athletes before, at some point they've developed to the, to an extent where I can just sort of trust them to be on the field. And if they have a slight tweak or some little unique variation to the way that they do things, right? Maybe, maybe they're not following the book exactly in terms of what we've coached, but it works effectively for them. I go ahead and I trust them And their performance is, is often spectacular. Like if they're at that point in terms of ability and trust level, then yeah. Like there's leeway there for them to be autonomous in that context. I see it, I see it happening in the workplace as well.
1: And I find too, that it's not about just leaving someone to their devices. It's not saying go ahead and we'll never have conversations Mm -hmm. or discussions about things. It's really about saying, I trust you to go and try things out. If you need me, I'm here to support you.
0: Yep. Yeah, it's huge, and it. Not everyone is fortunate enough to have a superior that that is that trusting.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: For me, I would I would struggle with that um, if that was my reality.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: But going out and ask, you know, having that conversation with someone that you report to, saying, you know, what can I do to kind of prove to you that I can operate mostly on my own mm-hmm. in the role that you've put
1: me in. Mm-hmm. Or asking yourself too, how can I build trust with this person? What Mm -hmm. can I do to show them that what they're asking me to do is something that I'm going to consistently provide and consistently achieve.
0: Yeah. Which I feel like then parallels that leads perfectly into just going above and beyond in the workplace. Like as we went and talked about this in our professionalism episode uh, a few weeks ago how do you know if you're going above and beyond in the workplace?
1: That's a great question. And I think that it comes down to if something else comes up. So we'll give you an example from my own work experience. Mm -hmm. I was on a conference call one time and we were working on a project and somebody had asked another individual to do something and it wasn't a crazy task. It wasn't going to take a week of time or anything like that. Mm -hmm. And the person said, Oh, I'm sorry. That's not in my job jar. Hmm. (laughs) Which automatically you just feel kind of icky about.
0: Sure. Yeah. Gross (laughs) job jar.
1: (laughs) Yeah. And it's, so it's really about being open to new experiences. It's about, Mm -hmm seeing a need and being able to fill it without being asked to do so. Yeah. And it can be thinking about the bigger picture instead of focusing on the specific task in front of you.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. When people talk about being a strategic thinker, that's often a big part of that is can, can somebody see past, you know, the end of the day, the end of the week, where is the work that they're doing going? Where is the work that their department uh, taking the company as a whole. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I mean, going out and starting to develop a habit around, around thinking about the bigger picture makes a whole lot of sense.
1: And also with the people that you're working with, whether it's a colleague or a superior or somebody that you're managing, try to empathize with them to think, you know, I'm, I'm doing this task. What are their why are they asking me to do this or why are we doing this together? Why are we partnering on this? Mm -hmm. And how can I make their role a little bit easier? What pains are they experiencing that I can do just a small tweak in my process to make their process easier?
0: Yeah. No, being, being a great teammate, lifting up the people around you Mm -hmm. for sure. Um, It's always nice when you hear other people you know, unasked deliver some sort of really nice compliment to, to you in response to maybe something that you did or they've just just come at you with an observation about how you work that can be really uplifting and inspiring. And you shouldn't like, don't, don't blow past those when those happen. If someone is actually stopping and getting out of their own, um, their own grind to go out and say something that's really positive and, and, reinforces what you do Mm -hmm. take that as a really strong signal that you're on the right track in what you're doing
1: yeah absolutely yeah
0: and
1: just going back to that above and beyond too Mm -hmm. you won't always get recognition for it no i remember in one of the first jobs that i had it was a very small company and the the feeling around the company was you know if If somebody needs to clean the toilets, then somebody needs to clean the toilets.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: It needs to be done. It's a task that needs to be done and nobody should be above that task. And so sometimes going above and beyond means cleaning the toilets.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, uh, I can, this is super relevant to, to what I just experienced yesterday where a gymnasium that had been covered with protective tarps on the floor had to be, those tarps had to be lifted off what had happened, the event that had taken place on those tarps had ended and there was about to be a basketball game played in that gym. It's hard to do it when the gym is covered in blue mats (laughs) and our maintenance department, you know, it's tied up with a whole bunch of other, other things. And so I I was in there, a few of my colleagues, direct uh, peers were in there as well, but also working there was the guy who was actually our incoming head of, head of school. Mm -hmm. Uh, just rolling up his sleeves, moving tables, moving chairs off these mats, putting these mats onto, um, a rolling apparatus and just like demonstrating clearly that no task is too small. Yeah. That, that to me is going above and beyond in a really sort of like counterintuitive way.
1: Yeah. And what results do you think came of that for you?
0: I mean, you just love to appreciate someone who is not afraid to really do the tasks that have to get done and doesn't see himself or see themselves as being above other people, Mm -hmm. especially when they are, uh, pretty high up on, on the organization's hierarchy.
1: Mm
0: -hmm. Uh, so you, you develop trust really quickly with people that do that. There's no question for sure. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, that, that to me in, in a really subtle way that no, not a lot of people would see uh, publicly is, is a great example of going above and beyond. Love it. Yeah, yeah. It was neat to be around. Um, cool. I don't think I have anything more to add on this. Have you got anything that's uh, come to mind?
1: I think that pretty much covers it for us. I have a feeling though that a lot of people have a lot of ideas of what Mm. this might look like in terms of their environment and things that have worked for them. So if anybody wants to share with us, you know, send us an email, send us a message, write it in a comment, anything that you would like to add to this, please let us know.
0: Yeah. Yeah. We'd totally love to take a look at those and maybe do a little bit of a listener shout out at some point. That'd be fun.
1: Yeah, absolutely.
0: Cool. So we'll wrap this up. Um, I mean, Thanks for being with us for hopefully both of these episodes around creating an environment for success. Hope you join us again next week for the Career Builders podcast. I'm Mike Bird. I'm Lisa Fikosa. And we hope you'll join us again soon. Bye for now.